Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. My name is Tim Lundy. Uh, If you're visiting with us, it's my privilege to be able to serve as senior pastor here. And we're thrilled that you're here with us today. We love Easter. I mean, in the church world, this is kind of the Super Bowl. This, this is the day we love to celebrate. We love the stories. We love the preparation. In fact, as I was reading through all the different gospel stories, I, I love the way that uh, God assembles scripture that you don't just get one story, one version. You've got all these different witnesses, all these different people that saw Jesus. And so you see Mary at the grave and you get her story. And then you see the, the guys walking to Emmaus and Jesus reveals himself to them. The disciples hidden in an upper room there and Jesus suddenly is there. He comes back a week later because Thomas wasn't there. And he says, hey, Thomas, I know you said you wanted to touch and feel. And I'll let you do that because this is real. Jesus, who appeared to his brother James. Jesus, who appeared to 500 people. You've got all these stories. And as I read through the, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I think my favorite of it, of the four, is John. And especially when it comes to the the death and resurrection of Christ, John takes a third of his book and just focuses on that last week. And and he's walking through it because he specifically wants people to realize this is real. You can believe him. In fact, at the end of his book, in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, look what he says. He, He says specifically, this is why he wrote this. He said, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. He did so many miracles, which are not even written in this book. He said, I couldn't even cover all the ones he did. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by by believing you may have life in his name. John said, I specifically wrote this book with one purpose in mind. I wanted a person to be able to read through it and I couldn't share all the miracles, but I've laid out the ones that he did and specifically this slow motion focus over these last seven, eight chapters. He's focused in on what Jesus did that last week because by reading it, you would believe in him and believing in him, you actually have life in him. And that's what we've been celebrating. That's what those stories were about of people that believe in him and through it, they have life in him. Now, I recognize today, I mean, it's Easter morning, you may be visiting and and you may be here today and you go, Tim, I'm not sure I believe the stories. We do adventure. I just say that at the We actually believe the Bible. We believe these are real stories that happen in history. And so we believe it. But I, I recognize if you're here and you go, I'm not sure I can take that step yet. I'm thrilled that you're here. And and I would just encourage you, there's many of us in our journey to Christ, nobody forced us into that. We had to come to it. And so I'd encourage you, uh, no one forces anything here, but it is well worth investigating. And that's the only thing I'd ask of you is, would you at least take the time and investigate it for yourself? And I can't think of a better place to do that than the book of John. Uh, it's it's one, the one book, if you got a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, take one of the blue ones in front of you. That's why we have them, take one. Or we've got some in the back of different languages. You go, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have a Bible in my native language. We've got some ones at the table back there. Go pick up one and just take some time and start reading through the book of John yourself. And just ask yourself, could I believe this? Do I believe this about Jesus? I, I think for many of us that are here today, we're here because we do believe. In fact, you're probably here and go, yeah, I'm here with belief. 
It's interesting though in the book of John, you know, I told you that the end of the book was John chapter 20 and John writes it in a way, he's done, I've finished it. And then sometime later, he adds one more chapter. He says, you know, there's one more story I need to tell. Chapter 21 is actually an epilogue. You know, if you ever read a book or a novel and it finishes the story and they have the epilogue that kind of tells you what happened or, or something after the fact. John 21 is, is the epilogue. I call it Easter's epilogue. Because John says there's one more person I need to tell you about what happened. There was somebody with some unfinished business with Jesus. And, and in John 21, he, he says, I want to tell you, if you read with me, look in verse one of it. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee, it was also known. He revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Look in verse three, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Actually in the Greek, it's I'm going to fish. It's open-ended. And they said, we will go with you. If you look at this point, this is a few weeks after Easter. Jesus has revealed himself to them. He's revealed himself to the disciples. They know he's resurrected. It's totally changed their world though. They thought he was there to, to usher in this physical kingdom. He was gonna be the Messiah who overthrew Rome and set up a kingdom right there. They had no clue that it was this spiritual kingdom that he was talking about until he was resurrected. And now they're connecting all the dots on things. He had said, go back up to Galilee. They go back up north, their home country for many of them. And he said, just wait on me there. And while they're waiting, one day Peter just goes, I'm going to fish. Now, some commentators say, well, it's not that big a deal. He was bored. Maybe they were hungry. Now, I think it's more than that. I think the way the, the clause is structured, it's not this, oh, I just want to go fish one time. I think Peter's making a declaration here of I'm going back to be a fisherman. That's what he had done. He, he was a commercial fisherman, he and James and John. And, and, and as he's looking at it, he, he declares to the rest of them, hey, I'm back home, I'm here, I'm going to fish. And, and the reason I, I, I say this is a pretty strong declaration, if you go all the way back when Jesus called Peter as a disciple, and you can see one of the tellings of it in Luke 5, when Jesus was starting to preach, he was starting to do things, and Andrew, Peter's brother, introduced Peter to Jesus, and, and Peter's not sure, and one night, he'd fished all night, and Jesus is preaching to the crowd, and he gets on their boat, and he's preaching to the crowd on the shore, and then he looks at Peter and, and the group, and he says, hey, why don't you put your nets out again? And Peter says to him, we've been fishing all night and we haven't caught anything. In fact, it says in the text at that point, they're washing the nets. We gotta clean them all up, we gotta put them away. They're commercial fishermen, this is quite the endeavor. And Jesus says, trust me, just, just put it out one more time. Peter throws the net out, and if you read the story, there's so many fish, they can't pull it in. He has to call James and John to come over with their boat, and, and it almost sinks both their boats. There's so many fish. And Peter falls down and he says, oh man, I'm a sinful man compared to you. And Jesus looks at him and he says, Peter, I want you to follow me. 
And I'm going to make you a, a fisherman, but not a fish anymore. Of people. I'm, I'm here for people. I'm here to change broken lives. I'm here to change the world with it. And I want you to follow me. And it says in that text, at that decision point, he left it all. He left the nets, he left the boat, he left the business. I mean, this was his livelihood. He left it all behind. And so here we are three years later, when Peter makes the declaration, I'm going fishing. It's not like he said, hey, let's go grab a couple of poles and we'll go sit on the bank. That'll be a good day. No, he's got to go get the boat again and they got to get all the equipment and they got to get everything. That's the whole enterprise again that he's engaged in. He's going out to fish. I, I think Peter is, is doing his own version in 2023 terms of quiet quitting. He's kind of, kind of slipping out as a disciple. Now, now hear me, hear me, let me make sure I'm clear. He's not having a crisis of faith. It's not that he doesn't believe in Jesus. He believes in Jesus more than he ever has. He's seen the risen savior. He's, he's seen him in person. So he's not having this struggle like, do I really believe Jesus is God? No. He absolutely believes in Jesus. In fact, it's fascinating. All of these disciples from that moment forward, they never have a crisis of faith. There's never a time where they doubt Jesus or they wonder, is he really God or all that? And, and the reason why, and they're always asked the rest of their life, even when they're persecuted with it, they would say over and over again, well, of course we believe, we saw him. We saw him go in the grave, we saw him rise again. We saw it with our own eyes. Jesus even said that. He said, you guys believe because you get to see me. It's a real advantage. And I love this phrase he said when he, when he revealed himself to Thomas. He, he, he said, blessed are those who are gonna believe in me even though they don't get to see like you did. He's talking about us, by the way. I love that blessing from Jesus. But at this point in the story, I, I'll make sure I'm clear. Peter has is believing in Jesus as much as he ever did. He's had a front row seat for the whole story. He, he's been right there to see it all. He saw all of the miracles. He saw blind people that could see and, and deaf people that could hear and lame people that could walk. He saw water turn into wine and he tasted it and it was good wine. He, he, that same sea that they're on right there, that sea of Galilee, he had watched as Jesus calmed the storms with just a word. He saw him come walking across the water. Peter had actually stood on the water just for a few seconds till fear got the better of him. He'd seen Jesus on the hillside take bread and fish and just multiply it with his hands so that he fed thousands. He'd seen him raise people from the dead a little girl after a few hours, Lazarus after a few days, Jesus himself after he stepped out of that tomb. Peter had a front row seat for all of that. But Peter had heard all of his teaching. He'd heard as, as Jesus on the hillside there delivered the sermon where he took their scriptures and he would reinterpret it in a way like no one ever had before. He heard as Jesus would tell these stories in these parables and he, he would take common things of life and be able to make a point with it like nobody ever had. He had seen it when the scribes and the Pharisees came after Jesus and they questioned him and they questioned him and they tried to trick him and trap him and Jesus always had the perfect answer. He'd seen all that. 
And, and not just as a disciple, he was part of the inner circle. You had the group of the 12 and then you had the three, Peter and James and John. They were really in. They got to do things nobody else got to do. In fact, he was so in, Jesus had given him a nickname. Peter's actually his new name from Jesus. His given name was Simon. And, and he looks at him and goes, no, Simon, not Simon. You're Peter, you know what it means? You're the rock. That's a great nickname, by the way. And I'm sure Peter was thrilled because his two best friends were James and John and they already had a great nickname. They were called the Sons of Thunder. Can you imagine your whole life you run around with these guys? Hey, here comes the Sons of Thunder and Simon. But now Jesus looks at him and goes, no, you're not, you're the rock. I'm gonna build my church on this rock. And it's the sons of thunder and the rock. That sounds like a WWE team, doesn't it? <laughs> and see, when he called him the rock, he says, I'm building my church on it. Man, you're core, you're the leader, you're the man. And Peter had these dreams that, man, he is gonna be the king and I'm gonna be his number one guy. Peter had been on the front row for all of it. He doesn't doubt Jesus at all. But how does he go from being the man, the rock, the number one, to the guy who here we are post-resurrection going, I'm gonna go back to fish. See, Peter doesn't doubt Jesus, he doubts Peter. And it, it all changed in one night. That night before Jesus Crucifixion. That, that night and, and, and that whole week as it led into it, I think Peter was thrilled at the beginning of the week because Jesus is riding into Jerusalem like a king. He's finally announcing he's a king. And then the rest of the week, he doesn't act like a king. He goes and he disappears for several days. And then he calls them together for that last meal. And he starts off the meal not acting like a king. He acts like a servant. He gets down and he washes everybody's feet. And then Jesus keeps talking about, about dying. Talks about going away. And then he just kind of lobs it out there. One of you is gonna betray me. And, and finally, as they, they come to the end of the meal, Jesus is talking to me, he says, I'm going away and none of you will be with me. And Peter steps forward and he says, I, I don't know about the rest of these guys. You're probably right about them. But I'll tell you this, I will die for you. Whether Jesus knew it or not, he's carrying a sword at this point. I know there's a fight coming. I know there's soldiers. I know if you've got to overthrow Rome, there's a battle ahead. Jesus, I will die for you. And Jesus looks at him and, and he says, will you? He says, oh, Peter, before the night's over, before the, the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. And Peter is determined. No, you're not right about this, Jesus. And as they go into the garden and the soldiers come and the people and Judas betraying him and they come in and, and the servants of the high priest and one of the servants gets a little too handsy, he gets a little too aggressive and he reaches in and Peter goes to prove, I told you I would stand for you. He pulls out his sword and he goes and he cuts off an ear of Malchus, that servant. I didn't say he was good with the sword. I just said he had a sword. 
But, but think about it for a second. He's going for a kill shot, guys. He's going for the head. He meant business. And, and Jesus looks at him and says, put that away. Immediately heals the man. He says, Peter, you're fighting for the wrong kingdom. And they take Jesus over to Caiaphas' household for this sham of a trial that's there. And Peter and John in bravery, as everybody else scatters, they say, we've got to stay close. And John knew somebody in the high priest's household, so he's able to get in. And so they're going into the gate of the courtyard. And even as they're coming in, this girl looks at him, this servant, and she looks at Peter and she says, wait a second, you were with him, weren't you? You're part of his group. And, and Peter looks and says, no, no. He's got to use a little subterfuge to get in. And he gets in and, and he's watching and he's in eyesight of Jesus. He can see the trial that's happening over there and what they're doing. And at one point, John describes it and he says specifically, they had made a charcoal fire out in the courtyard. And Peter goes and he's with the others. They're warming themselves by that fire. And one of the gentlemen says, you're a Galilean. You're part of that group. Peter goes, no, no. And then Malchus, the guy, he cut his ear off. His cousin is standing there. And his cousin speaks up and he says to him, no, I saw you in the garden. You were with him. And Peter cries out, you're wrong. I don't know him. And right at that moment, the rooster crows. And in the morning light, Jesus and Peter, their eyes meet. Jesus knew. Peter knew. You did exactly what I said you would do. And despite Peter's best intentions, despite the fact he thought he was the disciple of disciple, the leader of leaders, the guy that would stick no matter what, he found himself denying more than any other. And he's crushed. And he leaves and he goes out and he, he sobs. And the next day at the crucifixion, in all the different accounts, you don't hear Peter's name. If he saw it at all, it was from a distance. And, and, and here we are weeks later, he's seen the resurrected Lord. He's seen Jesus. But every morning he's woken up to a rooster crowing and he's reminded of his failure. That he's not the man he thought he would be. I don't know about you, but I can identify with that feeling of who I thought I was gonna be in life and the expectations I had in so many different ways. Even now, I mean, there's days I look at it and go, have, have, I've not outgrown this. Even yesterday, yesterday I'm driving to church for our first Easter service. And I'm, I'm driving down Almond Expressway and this car comes out and it's coming out from a side road and, and I know that he needs to yield. And, and I could see it coming. I'm like, I'm stuck in this lane. I'm going, is he gonna yield? Is he gonna go? Is he gonna yield? And then he does the worst thing you can possibly do. He just goes, but slows down as slow as he can. So then I'm right up on him 
And being the godly man that I am, I laid on the horn. Like, and as soon as I did it, I'm like, Tim, what are you doing? And then I had this fear. Wonder if he's going to venture for church too. I mean, it was. It's like, hey, that'll be great. Hey. I haven't grown past that yet. And it's not just little things. I'm not the husband I thought I would be at this point. I mean, if you'd asked me when I was young, oh man, I was going to be the perfect or close to perfect husband. And romantic, strong, caring, listening always, listening all the time. And there's so many days I look up and I go, why are you so selfish? The parent I thought I was going to be. The things I was going to do with my kids and, and you blink and suddenly they're grown and you think of a thousand things I wish I'd done. Even just the follower, the follower of Jesus. I don't know about you, you, you can feel that failure and some of you, you feel it all the time. It's like, it's, it's like this, this bag of, of weight that we carry around with us. And some of you in that, in that bag, you've got some big rocks, big rocks of failure. And you feel the weight of them all the time. And for many of us, maybe it's not the big rock, but it's just a bunch of pebbles. And the problem is you add them up and it's just as much weight. See, Peter's not quitting on Jesus. He believed in Jesus. He just didn't believe in Peter anymore. And he says, I'm gonna still believe, but I'm not gonna be the disciple, the follower he thought I'd be. I don't know how to do that well, but you know what I do know how to do? I know how to fish. I'm gonna go fish. As you look in this story in John 21, Peter may have quit, but Jesus hasn't quit on Peter. So he's gonna orchestrate the events of this morning to deal with the unfinished business. Look at it, it says in verse three, it continues on, they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, oh man, we're coming up on morning time again. Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, boy, men love being called children, don't they? <laughs> Do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And I'm sure at this point, they're feeling the deja vu a little bit, okay. And they cast it and they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And John immediately recognized, oh, that's Jesus. Peter jumps in and starts swimming to Jesus. And the rest of them are left kind of dragging these fish in. When they got to the land, and John points out, it's not just any fire, they saw a charcoal fire. It's only mentioned two places in scripture. One here, and one, the fire that Peter stood around when he denied him. There's fish laid out on it. Jesus already has fish somehow. He's ahead of them. And there's bread. And Jesus said, hey, come bring the fish that you've caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. 
John's an old fisherman. He's not gonna lose the opportunity to tell you how many fish they caught, 153. And all there were, though there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and he took the bread and gave it to them and also the fish. Boy, you don't think that brought back memories of sitting on the hillside with thousands of people as Jesus took bread and fish and fed everybody and took care of them. And he reminds them here, I can take care of you too. This was the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples as he was raised from the dead. Jesus has has set this scene of Peter, you're you're trying to step out with it. And so now let's deal with this unfinished business, but I'm gonna deal with it and we'll deal with all your senses and all your memories and everything. Let's deal with it. Let's go back to that morning time hour. Let's go back around a charcoal fire. Let's go back to the setting of where you said your last denial. In verse 15, he looks at him. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, doesn't call him Peter. He's not acting like the rock. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He he, he said, the last time we had a meal, Peter, you were standing up and proclaiming, you loved me, you'd serve me, you were more faithful than any of the other disciples. Is that true still? And notice in Peter's answer, he doesn't say, oh yes, more than anyone. He's a broken man. He's not comparing to anyone else. A second time, verse 16, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He doesn't compare anymore. We're not gonna talk about anybody else. Let's just talk about you. Simon, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. Then it gets pointed in verse 17. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He switches the verb at this point too. Up to this point, he's been saying agape. Do you agape? Do you have that sacrificial love? Do you love no matter what? And the third time he looks at him, he switches over to phileo, which is friendship. He says, do you love me? Do you love me? Simon? do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times he he, he makes Peter deal with it. He makes Peter address it. He makes Peter remember it. Not because he's trying to produce more pain, not because he wants to shame Peter in it, but he knows there is unfinished business. There is a weight that you're carrying around Peter and we need to deal with it. And and he looks at him, notice what he doesn't ask him. He doesn't say, Peter, do you believe in me? He knows he believes in him. He doesn't say, Peter, are you sorry? He knows he's sorry. He he asked him the core question at the heart of any relationship. Do you love me? Guys, it's the question that God has been asking humanity from the beginning of time. It's the response that God desires in a real relationship. 
It's why in the very beginning I, I get asked, why in the world would, would God put a tree in the Garden of Eden? Why would he give humans the choice to rebel and reject him? He gave them the choice because if you don't have a real choice to reject, then it's not a real choice to love. And from the very beginning, God has wanted a love relationship with us. And even when we fail, and even when we blow it, from that very first story to Peter's story to our story today, every time we blow it, every time we try to quit, Jesus never quits. And God pursues us. And God so loved the world, he sent his son. And in that expression of love, you have that pregnant pause. What's your response? Do you love me? And then Jesus immediately says a verse that seems strange to us. He says, Peter, when you were young, you could go wherever you want. Let me tell you what's gonna happen at the end of your life. Look at the next verse. He says, when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not wanna go. This he said to him to show him what kind of death he was to glorify God. And we know from history, he's talking about Jesus, Peter's hands being stretched out. Peter would ultimately be crucified in Rome because of his faithfulness to Jesus. And, and, and you read this at this point, I mean, they're talking about this love relationship and Jesus immediately starts talking about his death. And, and we might look at it and go, Jesus, that is so discouraging. Actually, I don't think he could have said a more encouraging thing to Peter. Because remember what Peter all along wanted? Remember what Peter had declared? He wants to be the man that will stand with Jesus to the end. He wants to be the man that he always dreamed of being, the guy that's willing to lay down his life for Jesus. But he couldn't do it. But Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, I'm gonna do something in you. And we know it's the Holy Spirit that's in him that you're gonna become the man you always long to be. And, and, and notice that next phrase, he says, here's all I need you to do, just follow me. Let's go back to where we were three years ago on that boat when I told you to leave these nets the last time. Let's go back to where we are today. I know you believe, you tell me you love me, now here's what I need from you, just follow me. Just stick with me. Let's have a real relationship. Let's have a passionate discipleship. You just stay on my heels and I will make you who you long to be. Because I have the ability to do in you what you couldn't do in yourself, but I can do through you. You know, John wrote this Easter epilogue for his friend Peter, but I think he wrote it for a lot of you too. I think there's a lot of people here that if I were to ask you, man, do you believe in Jesus? Say, oh yeah, I believe, I believe, and, and you do. But you stopped believing in you a long time ago. And so you've kind of quiet quit on a, a life of discipleship, kind of quiet quit of really being engaged, really pursuing. And, and you've told yourself, man, there's all these things I need to do to get right with God. Guys, you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't be the man or woman you even long to be. But he can do it in you. And, and all he asks you today is, do you love me? 
And all he commands you today is follow me. And I know some of you, you're going, Tim, you, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how I failed. You don't know how heavy that bag I carry around is. And I'm telling you today, you were never meant to carry it. Drop it at the foot of the cross because he paid for it there. Yeah. Some of you though, you go, Tim, I know I'll fail again. I've done this before. I've made commitments before. I know I'll fail again. Of course you'll fail again. Peter fails again. Read through Acts. He's not perfect. But Jesus is changing him. And he becomes the man that he longed to be, that Christ made him to be. You know, for every person here, John answers the core questions and it's the questions to you. The first question, the first 20 chapters is do you believe in Jesus? And you gotta decide whether you do or not. But it's not just belief. He looks at every single one of us and he says, do you love me? And, and then the final question, will you follow me? And not just play around with it, not just on the side of it, but passionately with all that you are, you would follow him as a disciple of Christ. I want us to, as we conclude, would you just take a moment and just bow your heads or if you're not a praying person, would you just close your eyes in, in respect to those around and all I want you to do is just, even in your own heart, answer those questions to Jesus. If Jesus asks you today, do you believe in me? If you do, just tell him in your heart, I believe Jesus. And, and if you can't make that declaration, would you at least ask him this? Would you ask him to reveal whether he's true or not to you? If Jesus asks you today, do you love me? Man, if that's your heart cry, would you just tell him right now, Jesus, I love you. And as Jesus looks and says, will you follow me? Will you respond now and just tell him, I will follow Father, we thank you. We thank you that you do in us what we couldn't do in ourselves. You paid for us what we could not pay. You forgive what we have a hard time forgiving even in ourselves. And you change us to be more like you. Lord, we thank you for Easter because it changed everything. And we thank you for the days after Easter that even when we give up on you, you never give up on us. You never stop loving us. You never stop calling us to experience a real relationship with you where we follow you. And so we praise you today because of Jesus in whose name we pray, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.